you've reached Lisa Valentine Clark. Shh. Hey, shh, shh. Please leave me a, a message and I'll get back to you as soon as Hi, I... Mom, I'm leaving for two days. As soon as I can... Where are you going? The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Woo, we are back. Man, it feels good to be back. If you're new to the show, hi. I'm Lisa. I'm a writer, actor, producer, widowed single mom of five, devoted online shopper, and I'm always on the hunt for the ultimate nacho. And if you're a longtime listener and you already know all of this, thank you for sticking with me. This is the beginning of our body image series and a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and especially right now, which I'll tell you about towards the end of this episode. I have my friend Casey with me, and we're kicking off this series by talking a little bit about Helen of Troy. Yeah, that Helen. You're also going to hear about babies, another thing I love, a few stories from people on their own body image journey, and why it's so important to sit down with this topic. But before I get too ahead of myself, Casey, you're very well read and you know a lot about history. So I wanted to talk about this. I saw this comedian and this is so me because I can't, I tried to find the bit. I I don't know if it came up on Instagram or on a video or YouTube or I don't know. But it was a couple of years ago and I've tried to find this comedian, but he did this stand-up routine about Helen of Troy. And it was really, really funny. But you know about Helen of Troy, so I'm hoping... Okay, yes. By the way, if you're listening and you're that comedian, please contact me because it was really funny and I want to give you credit. DM Lisa. <laughs> but it went something like this. You know the story of Helen of Troy. Yeah, face that launched a thousand ships. Yeah. She's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, just to back up a little bit in Greek legend, the most beautiful woman in Greece, mm-hmm. which is kind of... Interesting, because how would you determine that? Yeah. But okay. Okay. Sure. Good for her. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. The indirect cause of the Trojan War. Again, a woman who— Let's blame it on a lady. Yep. Who has no power to do anything (laughs) or change anything except for just exist. In fact, as Mm -hmm. I did a little research about what I knew about um, Helen of Troy, as a young girl, she was kidnapped, right, but rescued by her brothers. Mm -hmm. And then her parents' response was like, oh, no, she's too beautiful, so we better get her married off. Again, Mm. this poor girl doesn't do anything, really say anything. She's always acted upon. Yes. Mm -hmm. See, I knew you would get it. I know the feeling. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) (laughs) And so then, of course, she's married off, and then Troy comes, and uh, or uh, Paris comes and wants to— carry her off and then he does and then and then her husband comes back and anyway the way that it ends which I think is so funny is that all this fighting and destruction has happened she's gone back and forth and then you know what happens at the end what she gets old oh yeah and hangs out with her husband and they go huh yeah that's it she's just she is allowed to age though well we just don't hear anymore about her well and not only do we not hear anything about it but then Nothing else happens to yeah, her. Yeah, of course. Right. And this story, the comedian that I had heard, again, unnamed, unsourced, <laughs> as the professional that I am right now, um, was laughing about how, like, imagine, 
like that kind of beauty existing today that it's like it causes mm-hmm. all of this chaos and it would never happen today mm-hmm. because of the sheer number of yeah. people it's just that we're normal comparing for ourselves. everyone to be that beautiful yeah okay that's so you see that too the ground level mm-hmm. and that's my point too is that like we would wake up and go about our day a hundred years ago and maybe come into contact with what how many people a hundred or something mm-hmm. if you lived in a yeah maybe village or probably town. less for me our grandmothers mm-hmm. no <laughs> yeah maybe a little bit more. Then you get TV. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, you see more beautiful people. You see more movies and and your idea of beauty sort of changes and expands. And then it explodes with the internet. And now mm-hmm. we're all walking around as normals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just us walking normals. around. And we're exposed to beautiful people on a constant level. Right. Yeah, all the time. And if you ask somebody like, oh, who's the most beautiful person in the world? No one would agree. It's hard to pick one. Yeah. It's hard to pick one. Mm-hmm. But oh, Helen... Yeah, she was such a singular beauty because they couldn't see everyone else. To be fair, when the comedian talked, it was a lot funnier. (laughs) (laughs) But I just remember thinking it was so funny. It's funny because it's true. Because it's true. (laughs) But then it got me thinking, too, about this idea of constant comparison. Yeah. And how, yes, it's like a human trait. Like, we all compare ourselves because we just want to know, like, hey, how you doing? Sometimes it's fun. It comes out of nosiness. Like, oh, what are you doing? Or care or just interest. But, yeah, it goes way beyond that. But do you think, like, our grandmas had to see all of their friends and what they look like in a bathing suit? I don't think so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, But is but that kind of normal like for, like, our daughters was... to know how all oh, their friends— Oh, totally, totally. And so what happened? Oh, yeah. All that comparison. It's, just, it's honestly just being able to upload photos. That's the difference. But the it's, like, at a molecular level because when my daughter got married, like, they were—she was knowing all about, like— the undergarments and what everyone was doing to be smooth under their dress for photos. Oh. Like, that's a whole thing that they all know about because they all see each other's wedding pictures. Oh, yeah. Like, all that's the layers pretty and steps. in the weeds of just, like, I mean, of course, yeah, you want to look beautiful on your wedding day. Like, sure. The dress, the hair, whatever. But, like, it was very, it's very intense. Right. And I'm wondering it, how, because that happens so quickly, yeah. how you sort of reel it back in. Oh, I, you don't reel it back in. Because, like, you know, I wanted to look beautiful on my wedding of day. Of course. Like, and I fine. did my hair and I did my ma- But, like, nowadays, everybody would get somebody, like, professional. Yeah, yeah. Like, professionally done hair and makeup. And, yeah, like you're talking, all the layers. We and, don't reel it in. This we, is our we're world not. now. We have to learn how to cope. I don't know how. But it's just like I see my kid. I do it too. I do it too. No, I'm, I'm just going to blame this on Gen Z. You're, no, you're like, I know. How many times are you like, like making it bigger, like looking? At, I'm not even For those of you who I'm are not listening, judging. She's, <laughs> I'm like holding my phone and taking my fingers and I'm like making it bigger in. how to yes. zoom. Because just because you can. And I'm actually, I don't think I'm that, I'm not that judgmental. And I'm not super appearance-driven. You might not know that to look at me. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, like, I still, just out of interest, I'll yeah. go really, really close and yeah. just look. Because you can. It's funny. I saw um, my friend Whitney on social media last night. She's like, how about instead of who wore it better, we're just happy for everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. you look nice. And I just thought, that is a post that I relate to. Of yeah. like, why are we always pitting each other against that comparison instead of mm-hmm. being like, you do look nice on your wedding day. Instead yeah. of, 
do you look as good as your 12 friends who, you know, mm-hmm. whatever that you're yeah, it's looking just, at? I think it sort of just starts as something to do because you can. But then it starts to affect, so then then it's your wedding day. And so then it's like, oh, well, everybody's going to be mm-hmm. zooming in on this and this. And like the, the lines under my dress of like the, the bulkiness or whatever, which is like, whoa, that's just a lot to care about. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I mean, that comparison didn't help Helen of Troy. It didn't help her or any, you know. You know, the one that got Paris was dragged around. His, they dragged his dead body around the Coliseum afterwards. So it was really wasn't good for anyone. No. <laughs> I no think good that, came of I it. I think there were some geopolitical factors also at play. <laughs> but let's just try to blame it all on Helen. But um, Not anymore. I don't think we—we we tried to fight it. Yes. As digital—what are we? Immigrants. Mm-hmm. And we lost— yeah. Because digital natives have taken over, and here we are, and it's out of our hands. So now we are just trying to survive and cope. Yes, we're just coping. And this, um, surprisingly, has been a theme I've run into. A lot of people feel this way. Now, bear with me, because I really want to pivot a little bit and talk about something that I think about a lot, which is our babies. When I think about holding my babies, I mean, when I look down at each one of them, at these beautiful, round, perfect, soft babies, I mean, really any baby, I really have an addiction to babies. I I don't know if that's a medical term or not, but I mean, the breath of a baby, the sounds, the touch, I mean, it always... It just leads to a euphoria inside of me, right? And I don't think that I'm the only one. When you look at a baby, when you talk to a baby, what do we always do? Our voices get higher and softer. We smile. Our eyes light up. We are always talking to them with such love and softness and kindness. I mean, think about it. Holding a baby, we examine their features, their skin, toes, the rolls around their stomach and arms and thighs, and we remark on the beauty and wonder of it. Oh, she's so pink. Oh, so bright-eyed, so beautiful, every little bit of her. And we never think, oh, does that baby have worth? Mm, I don't know. Not so great. I mean, it sounds even—I can't even, like— make fun of how you might criticize a baby. It literally makes me ill because we'll do anything to protect her, right? We just look adoringly with love. But as adults, it's not uncommon if you ask someone about their body for them to start with criticism. I have a double chin. I need to lose 20 pounds. I have wrinkles. I used to be like this and now I'm like that. Rarely do adults start with what they love or speak of themselves the way we speak to a baby. So what happens between then and now? What's in the middle of this disconnect? Where did we all go wrong? And not only not cherishing our bodies, but finding faults with our bodies first. No matter who I interview, whether it's a dear friend or a stranger or even an expert, someone who knows a lot about body positivity or health or nutrition, anything, at the end of every interview, I ask them what they love about their body and everyone hesitates. It's like they all get the same kind of look in their eye like, oh, I can't, or should I, or they're sort of straining to come up with something. Everyone is in that same boat. It's a struggle. I want you to hear some of the voices that are going to tell their stories in upcoming episodes. This problem isn't specific to me. It isn't specific to you. And together, it really begins to feel like a singular story that so many of us are living through. 
I spent so many years hating my body. It was kind of set up in my brain that I was overweight really early on. Wishing it was something else. I was standing in the mirror and I was like, ah. And I remember looking at them and going, I am not going to be that. <laughs> so because maybe, of the way you looked, not because, because of, of the your way, skill. Be, yeah. It was who I was. When you talk about Raquel, she likes to exercise and she likes to count calories. And it was like that was my whole purpose. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2019. The goals that I have with self-maintenance seem like it's more about reversing the clock and trying to get back to that point in my life before things went wrong. I never felt good enough or beautiful in my own skin or any of that. Less of an expert because I'm not wearing makeup and I didn't do my hair today. Or can I still show up in this body and do and say something that's going to be helpful? I was so mean to myself. Oh my gosh, you're so weak. How could you give in to that? You know, thinking that it would help me do better the next time when really it was just creating that pathway in my brain of you're not good enough. I thought at some point, this is all going to magically go away when age takes away any vanity that I could have had. But I don't know if it will. So if my body image today is the same for the rest of my life, I imagine I'll be very tired and regretful, you know? In, let's see... In eighth grade, like, I still remember the day. I remember everything that happened. I was wearing these shorts that I thought were adorable. They were so cute, yellow and white checkered. And they weren't the knee-length shorts that I usually wore because I wanted to hide my thighs. I wore shorter shirts. I'm like, okay, I'm going to just do it. All the other girls are doing it. And, and this boy told me, you should never wear shorts again. And I just went home, like, just mortified. Like, And he said it in front of the class, and I just oh. was like, okay. So I went home and didn't wear shorts again to school. This story breaks my heart, and I think everyone has had a moment like that. I've had moments like that. It can just bring the way you feel about your body into such sharp focus. So now I want to tell you about a moment that I had recently. And here's the disclaimer. I'm going to talk about my husband who has passed away. And so, yes, it's very heavy and sad, but it's not a sad story. But in order to explain why this thing that happened to me recently had such an impact on me, I just need to take you back to that space for a moment when he was dying. Yes, it was very sad, but that's not the focus of the story. So it starts the other day when I was just walking around, picking up stuff just mindlessly. My sister calls it puttering. I was doing a lot of puttering around the house. And I had that thought when I walked by the mirror, ooh, I better not turn that way because I don't want people seeing that part of my body. And I really paused. It kind of surprised me, I think, because I hadn't realized that it had become so automatic. I was so disappointed because I thought I'd gotten over that like I had conquered my body image issues. <laughs> Does that sound naive? Believe me, I hear it now, but here's why I thought that. I'm going to rewind about six years ago. 
It was in 2016, my husband was 43, and he was diagnosed with ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, it's a terminal disease with no treatment, uh, no cure, and the average life expectancy with someone with ALS is two to five years. During this time, and as we sort of got an understanding of what was to come, which I'm laughing just because no one could tell us what to expect, because the nature of the disease is that it progresses for everyone differently. Some, it starts in their legs, like with Christopher. For others, it starts in their voice. For others, it starts in their arms. And there is no natural progression. They don't really know a lot about it. One thing that a specialist told us was, enjoy every day because you know that it's the best it's ever going to be. All we know is that tomorrow it'll be worse, which is the worst thing a specialist or a doctor can tell you, but it's honest. And as it progressed, and it progressed quickly, and he lived with it for four and a half years, he went from walking with a slight limp to not being able to move or speak at all by the end of that four and a half years. And during this time, a lot of change and a lot of adjustments had to be made. As he became less able and capable physically of taking care of himself, I started helping him take care of himself. And it was very physically demanding. And during this time of taking care of him, I felt strong physically because I had to be. I had to lift him from a lying down or a sitting position several times during the day and work full time and take care of my five kids and take care of my house. And it required so much physical work. And during this time, I felt a, a new kind of responsibility and pride in taking care of my body. I made time to lift weights and I stretched. I practiced good cardiovascular health, all of that stuff so that Primarily, I could take care of him and not tweak my back or really hurt myself and injure my body. And as a result, I got really strong. And at the time, I felt so grateful that I was able to do that. It felt like such an honor to care for him, I mean, this wonderful man in this way. And I felt like my life had so much meaning, literal meaning. I used to think um, all the time in my mind, this is go time. Like, this is it. Like, this is when the best of you, of your intentions, this is how you show your love and your purpose, Lisa. And I really felt it. I felt like I was exactly where I should be, doing exactly what I was meant to do. And I'm old enough to know that you don't always feel that way. And I was able to do all this physical work that expressed my inner feelings and desire just to help him and ease his suffering and to make life fun and happy and to have him fully participate in our family life and maintain his creative professional life as well. And I was able to do that because I was so strong. I mean, you can't have thin, weak legs and pivot a man from lying down to standing into a wheelchair. I mean, you need balance. Those legs sustained us. And it was honestly kind of fascinating because here I had been sort of converted to body acceptance and love, and I had seen the light in a really dramatic way and regained a new appreciation of my body as Christopher's body was slowly deteriorating because of ALS, this horrible disease. And mine was getting stronger. And fast forward a few years later, and I'm back to criticizing my body like everybody else. I mean, it felt really kind of gross. And I think I fall into the category, like many of us, 
of, well, when I was this size, I felt this way, and I didn't worry about all of this. Or maybe in trying to get back to something. And we do that a lot, don't we? I do. Trying to get back into the same size or weight we were in college or into our wedding dress or when we felt really young or when we were really happy. We think that a size or a number or an exercise routine or something, just something will get us back to that spot of how we felt. I want to go beyond that. I want to get back to that kind of gratitude and awe that I felt back when I was taking care of my husband, when I felt so strong, when I felt so aligned with a purpose that my body was fulfilling this purpose to make life better for me and for my entire family. If there's anything to learn from Helen of Troy, it's, you know, you're more than a body, right? Okay, that's first. But also that modern problems deserve modern solutions. And as much as we want to believe that we've gotten beyond judging each other by our beauty or our weight or our appearance, we haven't. That toxic comparison and self-criticism, I mean, it just creeps in by default. And none of us can face those kinds of odds alone. And that's why I'm doing this series. Because self-love is contagious, it is possible to change the way you feel about your body. And having conversations with others like this is where it starts. You know, it, it really came down to loving myself. It just was this shift, like as soon as I was healed, just as appreciation. Recovery took a long time because I didn't feel worthy of that love It means that I'm able to participate in my life. It was through that that I started to believe that I was more. I always used to be like, I'll love my body no matter what it looks like. I need to love my body even if it doesn't function the way I want it to. I'm like, I'm gonna just do this one more time. Are you there? I'm gonna wait. The things that I've gone through are worth it, even if they've changed me in ways that make me less aesthetic to other people. And then I felt that love. And it was the the seed that was planted, that was the beginning of feeling the love that I knew was within me and that I knew could grow. You don't need your body to look a certain way to be a force for good. Now I'm able to recognize that and I, I just take care of my body in a more intentional way and I love my body. I don't want to waste any more time hating something that has served me so well in life that is innately good. I reject all of the New Year's resolutions to get down to a certain size or weight that once maybe served me but doesn't serve me anymore. This year, I'm going to love my body. I hope you do too. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with music and post-production by Josh Fouts with help from Clark Jackman and Trent Reimschusel. If you liked the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Join our listener community on Facebook or follow us on Instagram for more content and behind the scenes with Lisa.